Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, what happens when the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission tells the entire auto sector to get 1.7 million Australian cars affected by a global recall of faulty and deadly airbags to have their vehicles checked or face regulatory wrath? Things get pretty serious about needing to move consumer behaviour fast. Pretty much most of Australia's car brands were caught up in this global recall and they charged the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries to find a fix. One of the problems, there were no benchmarks on how to do this on such a grand scale and how much investment was needed to move more than a million people to take action. With us today is Russell Schooler, an advisor to the FCAI, Federal Chamber of Auto Industries, and Chair of Chatto Creek Advisory, and Mindy Lee, Business Director at the Media Store. They oversaw a dramatically successful recall campaign, which smashed consumer complacency and stubbornness and ended up seeing 99.9%, that's pretty close to 100 if I recall, of affected cars being recalled. The strategy and campaign has landed them as one of 52 finalists in the Media Federation Awards for 2021. The winners will be announced in February next year, but for now, this MI3 podcast is all you've got. So welcome, Russell and Mindy. This looks like it could be quite dry on the top, but it's actually a really fascinating way, uh, a case study in how you affect and move consumer behaviour. Russell, to you first, um, how big was this this recall uh, problem for the car sector? I think it had, it had been going for a number of years before it had lost moment, momentum and sort of the ACCC said, right, um, pulled the whip out a little bit. Give us the, the, the bigger picture context here. And welcome, by the way. Thank you very much, Paul. This was a global issue and a global recall involving some 100 million vehicles. In Australia, approximately 3 million vehicles, 3.7 million faulty airbags were involved uh, and some 23 different brands of vehicle. So it was the biggest recall we'd ever seen in this country. It was the first compulsory recall that the ACCC uh, had demanded in this country. And it faced the industry and those brands involved with, a, with an enormous task in a relatively short period of time. It had been going for a while, though, Russell, this, this recall program, right? And it sort of had lost, it sort of stalled in terms of getting consumer awareness and, and, and sort of action. Is that right? It had been going for a while with some brands. Once the ACCC made it a compulsory brand uh, recall, they extended the brands and vehicles and source types involved. So it became a far larger recall. Uh, at that point. Uh, The ACCC recall was quite prescriptive in what it demanded of the brands. Included in those prescriptions was each brand had to have a comprehensive consumer engagement plan of how they were going to reach out to the vehicle owners and get the, the affected vehicles into the dealership for repair and remedy. Uh, This would involve a demand that they use television, radio, print, social media, English, non-English dialects. So it gave the ACCC, did give the industry the option if they wished to do this part of the recall collectively rather than individually. Uh, We consulted with our brands through the FCAI, which was the Industry Association, uh, and it was quite clear to us, talking to professionals, that a very clear, 
concise, strong message uh, from one operation was far better than 23 different campaigns at the same time. So why was the ACCC, I mean, this is going a little bit off script, but why, why was the ACCC so prescriptive, you think, and all the media you had to use and what you had to do? Was it just to ensure that the industry got in behind this or something, was it? I, I think that was, that, that was so. The ACCC had, it was quite prescriptive in what it demanded. It clearly wanted to see a very successful campaign within a tight time frame. It wanted faulty airbags off the road. Quite, well, quite a reasonable proposition, quite well understood by the industry. So I think as part of that, it was quite prescriptive in what it demanded of the industry in terms of delivering the recall. So apart from the fact that all the auto brands got together and said, we're going to do this as a collective, um, how did the fix emerge? How, did, how, how quickly and how did you sort of mobilise uh, what you were going to do and, and, and emerge with a strategy? What sort of time frame and what happened there, Russell? It, it was quite a tight time frame, Paul. Uh, the ACCC announcement of the compulsory recall was in February 2018. Uh, that would take effect from July 2018. So it was quite a tight time frame mm. for the industry to A, determine that it would work together in a communications nature, have a look at what the options could be in a creative sense, get all that work done, uh, work out the media strategy that we were going to use, uh, and get it approved by the ACCC and have it ready to go. Four or five months. That's fast-moving stuff. And so what happened? You, you Tell us the process of did you know what this thing, apart from the media channels and the things that you had to do by the ACCC, did you have an idea of how you were going to tackle this? Well, this is what happened in the four months. All that came together really quickly. All that came together. We consulted with some marketing professionals. They advised that we seek creative bids from, I think it was three or four agencies. We received those bids, uh, made an assessment of what we thought would be the best one to take. Uh, We opted for one by the Monkees in Melbourne, which was based on a Don't Die Wondering theme with a website where people could go straight to a website, key in their registration number of their vehicle, and within seconds that would tell them whether their vehicle was affected by the recall or not. Okay, so that strategy was was devised. That wasn't sort of something that the industry had already got together, this website with the number plates. That was part of the creative bid from, from the monkeys then, is that right? Correct. Righto. Okay, so you had that part of it. Then you had the media side. So the media store we've got on today, but how did you get to that point? We knew that the media store were a very reputable and significant player in the media space. We met with them. We explained in some detail the nature of the challenge we faced, what we had to do, uh, and they went away and uh, did this, did some homework and came back with a very comprehensive proposal. Got it. Now we're going to get to some detail on this because this is what's um, put you both up in, up in lights because it's um, a clever strategy. But before we get to that, um, I, I'm just interested – you know, and trying to get a, uh, a what are you, 20 auto brands managing by committee and getting consensus. Anyway, I'm just interested, was it a very, was it was there much torture involved in getting consensus on where you're going to go with this, Russell, or, or, or did it the, the time frame force um, sort of expediency? I think the time frame paid, played a positive role, Paul. But I think overall, the industry was very clear that it wanted to get on with the job. It wanted to complete the task. And if I can use the phrase, the teams wanted to get back to their day job. Yeah. The level of cooperation throughout the campaign, 
uh, among the industry and the different brands who normally day by day are very fierce competitors in the marketplace was extremely good. You're right, very fierce competitors. So um, kumbaya moment, Russell, fascinating. Now, Mindy, um, just talk us through the strategy, the strategy and execution of this plan because it's 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 quite con- complex. It's deep. It's wide, um, and it's got everything right. You've got you know multicultural stuff, um, micro you know micro media, macro. Just talk us through what happened once you had the conversation and, and you and you were briefed. Um, what did you do? How did you set about doing this? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it was um, a big task. There was no two ways about that. And yes, we didn't just have, um, I guess, our client Toyota, um, which was a lot of knowledge about auto that helped us in that sense. But we then had to come to the party. We had to deliver for the FCAI and the ACCC and 23 auto brands in terms of coming up with the solution. So as Russell said, we were bought in. uh, The advice was taken on board. It was a very big problem. There were over 1.7 million vehicles still carrying these potentially lethal Jakarta airbags. So um, as you may recall from news at the time around you know, the last few years, there's you know, a death, there's a serious injury. So this is why the ACCC took the fierce action to make it a mandatory recall. And we had two very clear objectives. Firstly, we had to raise broad awareness of the compulsory recall as the campaign. So yes, we had the lever of the very emotive um, campaign creative that the monkeys came up with, with Don't Die Wondering, but we had to get it out there across all communities, whether it was you know, people in remote areas, culturally, linguistically diverse, as Russell just said, but also just get mass traction because there were a lot of stakeholders. There were the autos themselves, and then the ACCC. And yes, they did say it needed to be mass media and they did prescribe that it had to have television, press, radio, but we had to refine what that meant and there was actually no original budget set. The autos came together. They had an idea probably that they didn't want to spend... A hundred bucks, thank you. But they had to get the job done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the second um, part from the broad awareness, we also had to... Um, given the risk that could escalate the longer these airbags remained in vehicles on the road, um, we had to create a sense of urgency. So we really had to um, go out all guns blazing. But it couldn't be a short-term solution because they knew from the voluntary phase prior this being a, a mandated compulsory recall that people were complacent. You know, there'd been letters going out from different manufacturers to the owners of vehicles and people don't even open them, let alone ring and respond. So there's a lot of complacency out there. So we had to create a sense of urgency. And that um, it was really evident that inaction was persistent and it would need persuasion over time. And that really led to the core insight that we needed to be very sustainable and effectively s- save lives sustainably. And that is that needed us to build reach quickly, um, to sustain awareness, to compel continued action. But we also had to manage the variant levels of engagement across a very wide audience. So as we said, it, it was all people that were drivers Um, owners of cars and even their families, especially in the cultural communities where 
uh, you know, somebody may not have good English, but someone else may explain to them. So trusted sources. So it had to get really wide. And we did kick off with the mass TV launch. So what did you, what was the arc, just interesting there, so what, what did you initially decide was going to be the length of the campaign? Was it 12 months, 6 months, 4 months? What happened? It was also prescribed by the ACCC on the industry that they had to have these vehicles re- um, recalled and the Takata airbags replaced by December 2020. So they had two and a half years. Right. But that, as, as Russell said, they wanted to get on with the job. They didn't want to um, see massive number of cars at the end and there were going to be strict penalties on the industry if they didn't meet that deadline. Right. So we had a time frame uh, to work to, but we had to get traction early so that the a broad number was delivering if you averaged out across the 30-odd months of the campaign from when it launched in July 2018, about 48,000 cars remediated every month. Right. But we had to do much faster than that because if you left a lot to the end, knowing there was this complacency, knowing there was this lack of people to just get online and, and do something by go and search, this very simple mechanism that had been developed to go to Is My Airbag Safe? And then you could put in your registration. If we didn't get traction, then the ACCC would be starting. It was going to get ugly, right? Well, I want to get to the results a bit later. I want to get the, res- uh, the results a little bit later with both of you. But so, yes, talk us through the the, tac- the, the tactical uh, execution here and the, and the schedule. So what actually did you do? So we went, we've got to go mass. We've got to get out there. We've got to get traction. But it needs to also address these micro areas. So we need to understand that not everyone responds the same way. Not everyone acts the same way. So the TV launch did amazing numbers straight up, but it wasn't sustainable financially. We had to then play with the other media that, yes, they were prescribed, but by using um, an analytics process of understanding every single action on the website, where it had come from, we could see the levers that were pulling people through. So it wasn't just um, you know dual screen watching this ad on the Sunday night that it launched. We got big results the next day. Um, there was a PR launch as well. Momentum kept up. We then understood that when we came off TV, and we'd done a lot of awareness modelling to understand the weights we needed to be in through tools and through our, our cross-channel planning tools pre-set up to get the campaign signed off for the launch. We then understood that uh, channels like radio were really powerful to maintain much more cost-effective momentum because there's the voiceover, the message was very strong, so that was a tail. So there were efficiencies. Obviously, there was a lot of digital activity happening. Press had a big part. PR was also a very recognised part of our approach from the beginning because we knew from analytics prior to the campaign in the pre-planning and the, the strategy setup that there would be a lot of search awareness, um, search action happening whenever there was a big story. So big stories around the fact that there had been a death and there was, through the campaign, coroner increased coverage or 60 minutes. Everything came to play that it wasn't just about the paid media. We knew that early on, but it was then about fine-tuning against the um, analytics of each channel on the results on the website to pull back and, and scale up. 
What were the best performing channels in a, you know, whether you want to t- call it an ROI or in, you know, in triggering behavior and getting in action? Was there any surprises there in, in, in sort of what, from your modeling? TV definitely worked very hard up front, and we, but we couldn't, as I said, sustain the investment in it. So we, we learned that, that trick about using radio, but we also knew that in different communities, different channels had a big place to play in terms of credibility of messaging. So it was very important to have um, commitment to print and press in regional areas, but also that culturally, linguistically diverse other language um, channels. So not just the press, though, but we also use digital boosting. Um, there was an insight around the fact that languages other than English were trailing on conversion very um, markedly on the website. And the website initially actually hadn't been built for language other than English translations. So that came from media that the the lag was about 20% in terms of conversion rate. And we were getting from launch really high conversion rates up at about 80%. And then we knew that wasn't sustainable, but we set benchmarks then through the plotting of channel. The conversion rate mean that those that come to the website who typed yeah. in their number plate and, and or their number and... Literally came to the website and then took an action. It was so simple. You just put in your red Joe and your state. Right. Um, Russell can maybe talk a bit more to the complications around the back end of that. But essentially, once that got developed, it was a very simple mechanism. So once you got someone there, the conversions were high. But they settled down and we had to when, then benchmark where we thought that would go long term. And the, um, yeah, the lack of response from these language other than English communities meant that we lobbied to get languages added to the website. And that's when we did things like really ramp up with Chinese social and we saw an uplift again. So everything played together about doing the mass scale, but understanding the needs of different audiences and communities to also play at that micro scale. Just tell me, with your with your modelling, um, you, whether it's sort of your, your planning tools or your um, market mix or media mix modelling, was it accurate? Like what it, what what you thought was um, what what the, the 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 output said before you launched versus uh, when it actually happened? Um, was it what was the margin of error? Yeah, it, it actually was remarkable when we looked back because we had a. Um, a a model that said across at least the first 18 months, if not the two and a half years, we would need a certain investment. And what we didn't know was how many website actions there'd be, but it actually all married up. Um, we knew that we had to have bursts, more bursts of TV coming in to you know, excite um, and energise again. And there also needed to be creative refresh to do that because mm. you can blanket the same ad out there, but you are going to get a wear out factor. So we could see if the um, action wasn't happening, then, you know, another phase approach needed to happen. The team came together to consult and there'd be a creative refresh. So it wasn't always don't die wandering from the monkeys. They did, you know, refresh, but we could see from the media analytics uh, and the website understanding and obviously from um, the FCAI end and the industry end when an action needed to be taken to ramp up again and what we understood, though, was that yeah, different media channels could still keep a tail in there. So, mm. and that did come from our modelling, very early on from the cross-channel optimization plan planning that we'd done, and it actually did align remarkably to an awareness model that we'd put in very early on 
that you'd, you know, you'd have your high TV, you'd come back into other channels to sustain and then you'd do another burst. Right. And the other burst would maybe not be at the same peak, but then you might have had a PR story out there, so, something big, whether it was choice or 60 minutes, and that would give us another opportunity to pull back a bit on media because it was doing a job for us as well. So we had to be very nimble. Right, so you, you're moving the dial on near real time then, were you? There was a lot of that happening along the way, a mm. lot of that. Although at the same time, every time we came to a new phase and we had to get approval for that budget amount to the industry and we had to present to the ACCC for their approval too, showing based on the results to date and what we had to do, we... Um, ultimately managed in the first 18 months to be so far ahead of pace that we could start to really reduce budgets towards the end of the campaign. It's impressive, Mindy. Thanks. Uh, let's get to some of the results and what, what happened there. But before that, what did you in, what did you end up needing to invest to get, this, get the results we're about to talk about? What was the overall budget? Uh, the overall budget was a number of uh, millions of dollars evolved, but... Uh, it was expensive, but it had to be done and it delivered. So upwards of 10, Russell? I wouldn't want to put a number on it, uh, Paul. I'd love to put a number on it, but you're not going to give me, are you? I know. I, I, know, I know you would, but I, I, I think that's an industry, uh, uh, a confidential uh, commercial issue for the industry. But uh, it was a significant investment. It was a well-thought-out investment, and it worked, as Mindy said, very, very well for us. So what happened in the – Mindy talked about the first, you know, the first burst. It, it, the conversion rates were high. Uh, interest was uh, – action was high. So what did you start seeing? I think uh, Mindy talked about forty or 50000 a month was required over the period. What did you end up seeing in terms of people piling in and, and checking? Initially, it was very, very strong, uh, as we'd expected, because our advertising was very, very strong as well. Uh, in the first year or so, we basically got much of the low-hanging fruit, if you like, in terms of the recall. From then on in, it became harder and harder to do uh, as we tracked down vehicles, persuaded people that hadn't initially responded or got reached out to these people and found novel ways of doing so to get them to uh, get uh, their cars into a dealership uh, for rectification. So throughout the recall, very fast start, and then it became harder and harder. As Mindy alluded to, we refreshed the creative uh, probably at the 60% mark in terms of time frame and drifted a little bit away from the don't die wondering where we were appealing to people's instincts to not risk the health and safety of themselves or their families or their loved ones or their friends. And we went to a uh, situation whereby we warned people that if they didn't take the appropriate action to have their vehicles rectified, they risked state and territory registration authorities uh, cancelling their registration of their vehicles or refusing to renew the registration of the vehicles. Oh, that would have got some action, surely. It did. And the data showed before we embarked on that, there was a very good study done uh, by the Australian National University which showed that with some pe many people will respond to a, an issue regarding health and safety. Others, you virtually have to take something off them that they value before they will respond. And that's where the registration sanction message played a, a, a very strong uh, role in the latter part of our campaign. There's a little bit of behavioural economics in there, I think, by the sounds of it, sort of giving multiple options and making finding the triggers for people. Uh, and so in that first 
Uh, first year, what percentage, or maybe Mindy or Russell, how many how many came on board? What did you what did you get in that? What was that low hanging fruit that Russell talked about? What were the numbers? I think if we take it as the first eighteen months, by doing the mass awareness and getting those big numbers first in and, and blitzing, um, you know, more than two time two point two times the forty eight thousand odd vehicles that we needed to have being you know rectified a month. Um, we actually reduced pressure on the monthly goal by 40% to December 2020's deadline, and we did that a year out. Right. So then when these other mechanisms came in, we could start tailing off on the phased investment requirement from the actual manufacturers and then other levers like the state registrations, which came in much later in the campaign towards that um, end few months, that really started to have an impact as well. So what we still needed to do, though, was really sweep into those micro-communities all the way right. through. So even if there was noise coming out from stories about your registration could be cancelled, you still had to get people to the website because that was still the mechanism for them to check if their vehicle was affected. So we were still active all the way through to the end, but our pressure came off and that meant that we didn't have to invest as much. So the um, comfort of the ACCC was also yes. felt, I guess, from the manufacturers themselves. I mean, they were you know, at risk of still facing penalties if, if the job wasn't done. And so basically 40% ahead, you were 40% ahead of target uh, by, within 18 months. Is that, is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, and that's right, and that's a year out. A year out, okay. So by the end of the campaign 99.9 I think was the number I said before that's that's pretty much you nailed it yeah look I think if we looked at June the 30th uh, 2021 Paul uh, 3.77 million faulty airbags had been replaced right there were also about 330,000 vehicles which had been uh, written off in accidents exported stolen couldn't be found that were deemed to be compliant because they just weren't there to be rectified. And as at June the 30th this year, there was only 81 vehicles that still had to be tracked down or signed off. Where are they? They're in a garage somewhere all combined. It's impressive, right? That's very impressive numbers. 81 left. For both of you, what were a couple of the key learnings um, uh, from this project? What it, you know, Firstly, you moving human behaviour is you can do it. That's interesting. <laughs> First up, you can do it well. Um, but for you guys, um, each of you, start with you, Mindy, what were your sort of key learnings out of this? What did, you, what did you see? It's not, as I said, about awareness only. It is about digging deep. It is about modifying, being very nimble. Um, but we did trust in our methodology from the start in terms of the first principles of the cross-channel planning. And yes, we had the cue from the ACCC. And then it was all about being malleable, applying learnings, being brave, saying you know, we need to do something more about languages, as I alluded to before. Um, and we had an end goal that we could grasp from up front, but it was um, really about being committed, working as a team, um, very you know clear decision-making going along, and then just appreciate one size doesn't fit all. Different communities need the different channel approaches, but collaboration was key and you know, ultimately, we got there and it was very exciting. Russell, were you surprised at the rapid pace uh, of, the, uh, of the success of it early on or, you know, and what were your learnings, basically? I wasn't totally surprised by the pace early on because I thought we would get a lot early and I was aware from my experience in the industry over many years that uh, 
beyond that point, the once you had the low-hanging fruit, if you like, it would get harder and harder. So that didn't surprise me. I think the, the, the real strengths that enable us to get the, the outcome that we did is we had very, very good professional advice from the media people, the creative people. Uh, we listened to each of our brands and totally understood their needs and what they needed to do. We were flexible. We were nimble in how we responded. Uh, and I think that was showing up by the results at the end. And if I look at the website, which was our tool for delivering all this, over the journey, there were uh, 12.53 million vehicle requests, mm. of which 2.10 million vehicles uh, were identified as affected by the recall, and 8.7 million were unaffected. Uh, as well as brands involved in the recall, what the website was also able to do was provide a level of comfort for all car owners in Australia, regardless of their brand. Right. People of a brand that perhaps wasn't affected by the recall, but the owner wasn't sure, could go onto the website, in with their registration number and state and territory, and know within seconds, uh, no, your vehicle's not affected. So we, mm. we, we, we provided uh, significant peace of mind. So I think some of the learnings I learned uh, was the socioeconomic uh, issues that came into play and where you really have to drive hard to get results. Just, just unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that, Russell? We found that uh, areas of lower socioeconomic communities took a little longer to respond. Right. They were flat out in their day-to-day -day jobs and their busy lives and just didn't uh, necessarily respond uh, initially to some of the uh, high-profile mass media. So we had to put, put target our resources in, towards some of those communities uh, and drive hard. But once we'd done that, we see, or people realised that they might not be able to drive their vehicles Right. Uh, because of registration sanctions, we started to get very, very strong uh, results. So I keep I keep getting di uh, di distracted here, distracted, but just interested, um, how many vehicle registrations, how many people were moved by the big stick uh, as opposed to the, you know, the early creative campaign, which suggested just, you know, look after yourself. How, how, what percentage was required a stick? Look, we would be talking tens of thousands uh, would, would still be uh, moved in that way, uh, Paul. One of right. the interesting things I've found uh, more recently is watching in the community and seeing the rollout of the uh, vaccination campaign for COVID-19 mm. virus and mm. the challenges that the governments are facing and where they're getting results and where they're having to go back and drive harder to get vaccination results there, there's almost a parallel, parallel. with our project. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe you guys should devise a vax campaign too then. No, we could make some real money then, Russell. Yes, that's right. But it's, it's true. It's, 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 again, you're right. It's a, reflector, it's a reflection of, 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 of human behaviour and, and what, what the triggers are, and they're very similar. It's, a, it's fascinating, really. I just, I'll try one more time. Um, how much did you say was in the campaign, Russell? Many millions of dollars. Ah, many millions. That's what it was. Thank you. Hey, there's a great conversation. Thanks for this. I, um, good luck with the, uh, with the entry and the awards um, because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great behavioural, uh, behavioural change uh, moment here in, in case study. Um, stay safe and uh, thanks for joining both of you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.